Welcome, everybody, to another exciting episode of This Week in Mormons with your hosts, Matt and Melissa. I hope you're watching on YouTube because I'm doing awesome <laughs> dancing right now. You, you know, we are on YouTube. You can watch the video of what we do on YouTube live. Well, it's not live. Fascinating. And aren't we gorgeous people? I'm a very vain individual, but that's one of the like seven deadly sins. So I try not to talk about it very often. Yeah. yeah. Hey, um, I decided I don't like twim siblings as a name. I don't oh, want okay. twim twim. I just want, we're just Melissa and new. Matt. Melissa. Or wait, you go by Millie? Melissa. Whatever. You can call me whatever you want to call me. We'll just be the M's. Whatever. whatever. Listen, yeah. I think we should talk about this off air because I hate the M's. So. Oh, oh okay. That's right. fine. I'm just kidding. Hey, tell me about your fun Father's Day. Oh yeah, we um we went to Lake Powell. Um yeah, it was super fun. So I've never been on a boat in Lake Powell. Wait, maybe when I was a kid, but Okay. Is is it worth the drive? It is a far drive. I'm I'm not gonna lie, that's the killer issue for me, is it so far. But Okay. Well, wait, um, wait. Now I have to ask also ask you gas. So gas yeah. for the drive and then gas mm-hmm. for the fun on the lake. Uh-huh. Are we over a thousand dollars in gas? No. Oh, okay. No, we're not over a thousand. Are we in that neighborhood? Over 500? I'd say it's around 500. Okay. So that's a pretty pricey vacation. Yeah, but it is our summer vacation, right? Uh Like that's what we do for our summer vacation. We look forward to it all year. Um, I guess that's like taking a family to Lagoon prices, right? I I guess. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Go ahead. I didn't mean to. Um, No, that's okay. Lake Powell is beautiful. It's been rising because we got so much um, water in Utah this year. Now, I read an article that said that. like something like 85% of the dams in Utah are at 99% full to over a hundred percent. Whoa, that's fun. Lake Powell is at 34% full, right? So it's not anywhere near full, but it's such a big lake that it's, it's, you know, it, it's impossible, but it it has been rising about a foot a day. And when we went to bed one night, we kind of looked at where the water line was and woke up in the morning and sure enough, 12 hours later, it had gone up at least six inches. So it's rising. Yeah, it's awesome. How could you tell six inches? That's so little. We we took a mark in the wall and then when we woke up in the morning, it had gone up six inches above that. That's gotta be kind of a fun sensation or do you not sense it at all? No, you don't sense it at all, but it is really beautiful because there was so little water last year that this year it's just, it's kind of a different new lake. I mean, there's still a lot of water needed, obviously we're at 34%, but anyways, it was a super fun vacation. You've been going there a long time, right? Uh, Since I met my husband. I mean, it's not something you you did. You were there like 20 years ago, maybe. Sure. Yeah. 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 Okay. So do you sense that it's lower than it was then? Absolutely. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Even last year, even two years ago, two years ago when we went, the water was higher than it is now. Last oh. year, we lost so much water because we didn't get any and we still drained a whole bunch to send, you know, downriver like to all me. of the communities. Yeah. To all uh, of the communities that need water. So it, it's lower even with all of it that's come up than it was like two years ago. And what does but, one do at Lake Powell? Um, we do a lot of um, surfing behind the boat, um, mm-hmm. jet skiing. My husband got a wake skate, it's called. Um, so what is that, like an ice skate? It's like, it's like a <laughs> skateboard. It's in between oh. a wakeboard and a surfboard. Um, so we do a lot of playing on the water. We also do a lot of exploring. So Lake Powell's fun because there's a lot of little slot canyons. You can drive the boat down and go explore. Um, we had paddle boards that we could go exploring on too. I think we just really like spending time together. I like spending time in the sun. 
Um, it's just, it's just a beautiful place to be and it's relaxing. And there's so many of those moments where you're like, there is no one else in the world here. Like you can be completely alone on the lake. You don't see another boat. You don't see another person. And you're just like, I'm alone in the world and it is gorgeous. And it's just, it's really like, it's just a, it's a kind of a cool feeling. But so many people go to Lake Powell. How is that even possible? It is a huge lake. It is just huge. It's huge. Yeah. I do have a story to tell though. So, um, so the last couple of days, it was just me and my husband, everybody else had gone home and, um, we were getting a really big windstorm. So we decided to pull out a day early because we didn't want to stay on the water overnight in the wind and have to deal with anchors and all of that. So we went to the boat ramp and there was a lot of people trying to pull out. It was super windy. And I, my job, Jared's job is to back in the trailer and my job is to put the boat on the trailer, right? At the dock. That's the harder job, right? I don't know, but that's oh, my job. Okay. So yeah, he's good I, I at both of them. I'm that. only good at one of them. <laughs> so, um, but it's super windy and it's stressful and it's difficult because everybody's blowing in the wind and everybody's trying to get their boats on. But I nailed it. Like Ooh. I put the boat right on. I I looked at the wind where it was going. I like made wow. calculations of the speed. Like I was awesome. So I get it on. We're pulling the boat up about halfway up the ramp. My husband jumps out of the truck and he comes back and he says, we have a flat tire on the trailer. Oh. And sure enough, I lean over and you can just hear air hissing out of the trailer oh. tire. So he's like, okay, I think it'd be easier to change the tire if we put the boat back in, obviously, like with yeah, the boat yeah, not yeah. on it. So he puts me back in the water and he pulls um, just up onto the ramp to change the tire. Luckily, he had thought ahead and brought the right size lug nuts, the right tools to change no. the tire on the trailer. Yeah. Like he just thought of it at the last <laughs> he minute. He's so prepared. He's awesome. You know him. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. So I'm just floating out in the water for like an hour and it's 102 degrees on oh. the ramp while he's trying to change the tire. Oh. I'm just chilling, having a root beer, listening to Taylor Swift out in the water. Finally, he's like giving me the big wave from up on the ramp. <laughs> he's ready. And I'm like, okay, got to do it again. It's even windier now. Right. So I'm like, I got to do it again. So I start to to pull towards the ramp in the wind and I'm I'm crushing it. I'm doing so good. Well, there's this pontoon boat. It's got like, I'm not exaggerating, like 30 people on it. Like it's <laughs> overflowing with people. And the lady's trying to get it in and she cannot do it right. And she starts twisting in the wind, blowing into other boats. And like, just like she backs up, she's twirling around. Like you, like the wind is just taking control of her and she's losing it. Everybody on the boat is shouting at her. And meanwhile, I'm going towards her because she's in front of my trailer. Like I'm like, ah, oh. so I got to back up anyways. So there's this big thing at the ramp. Everybody's just like trying to freak out, trying to help her. She keeps trying to get in, trying to get in. Wind blows her away. Anyways, it was a big mess. So, um, um, so wait, then, wait, wait. Um, let me ask a question real fast. Yeah. Why does she have 35 people on her boat while she's trying to pull it into the, because they were just out on the boat together and that's sh- like, you just wait on the boat and then you oh, put I it see. on the trailer. That's, yeah. That just feels distracting to me if you're trying to do there something. There were so many people on the boat. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I'm panicking cause I'm like, if she can't do this and it's so windy and now I got to go next and there's all these nice boats out here. And what if I blow into one of them and I'm kind of freaking out, you know, and then I get a text from my husband and he says, Hey, just remember. If they, if everybody on this ramp can be patient with her as a driver, they can be patient with you. So stop freaking out. Like he knew that I was freaking out from just watching what was happening. He's like, put on your favorite song, just get into Zen mode and get that boat on this trailer. So I was like, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. So 
deep breath in and I just do, but I did, I did, I did. I put it on again. It's like perfect. Like I did wow. so good. And I was so proud of my son. I was like, was anybody taking pictures? Like I no. need record. Like that was amazing. So we pull out, we get the boat cleaned off. We, we head out of town an hour out of town. We're in Kanab. Our axle on our trailer is busted. Oh. No, we pull into a gas station. We're getting gas. It's literally like we just barely left Lake Powell, but we've been driving like 70 miles an hour pulling our boat. And my husband looks at the trailer and he says, does that wheel look crooked to you? And sure enough, one of our wheels is just crooked, like just crooked. So we kind of jack it up. As soon as we jack it off, the entire wheel falls off. Like just falls off. Again, we could have been like totally going yeah. 70 miles an hour and had it bust off, but we are so lucky. It's four o'clock. We know everything closes at five. We call a couple places. Can't help. Can't help. Finally, they're like, you need to call a diesel repair shop. So we call a diesel repair shop. They send their truck out, some kid out, bless his heart. He's like, what we're going to do, we're going to wrap a chain around the axle to just kind of hold it in place so that it, it won't keep falling off. Then you're going to drive with three wheels instead of four wheels <laughs> through town. Follow me to my shop. And we're like, okay, like, I guess we could lose the boat, but okay. Anyways. Yeah, we got it there. They were super nice. They're like, yeah, we got to order a new axle. So our boat's still in Kanab, but it was a oh. great vacation, but yeah, like everything kind of happened at the end. And I was just like, well, guess it's time to go home. <laughs> Melissa, I have two thoughts. First, from now okay. on, I'm going to call you the Admiral because you. <laughs> you've got some boat that. skills. <laughs> and then second- I just am so proud of myself <laughs> for doing the basics. Your husband's favorite YouTube channel is this dude oh, yeah. that goes around rescuing Matt's like, strand- off-road recovery. Yes. He loves Matt's <laughs> off-road recovery. I guarantee he was hoping that we would have to call in Matt's off-road recovery. I guarantee he was like, well, maybe this won't work out. We got to call Matt. He's not that far away. Like, as, you I were guarantee- this, as you were telling the story, I was hoping that it was going to involve that, that guy and yeah. that Jed would get to be on his favorite YouTube channel. Oh my gosh. And You're he'd right. be like, Right. Why are you driving this boat in this place like this where I have to come <laughs> rescue you? <laughs> so true. <laughs> hey, well, let's get to the mailbag. So we've got some oh, listener yeah. comments. I mean, we only do this once a month. So, you know, listener, thanks for being patient. But we always promise we'll yeah. get to the mailbag eventually. And thanks so much for writing in. We really do want to hear what you guys have to say. So the first person says, hello, I really enjoy your podcast. As someone who has left the church but lives among neighbors and family members and colleagues who are LDS... I really enjoy hearing about current events from a believing and thoughtful perspective, not just going along with the church, but thinking and commenting for yourselves. So thank you. I did want to ask a clarifying question about the study you cited in your latest episode. You said the people in the U.S. who had left their religion, 37%, I think I'm going from memory now, left the Catholic Church, 23% or thereabouts left a Protestant church, and then there were about, then and then there was a 5% other. So I interpret this to mean of the people in the U.S. who have left their religion, 5% or fewer of that group were formerly LDS. That is not the same as saying of people in the LDS religion, 5% have left. I hope I'm explaining this well enough that it makes sense and that you're able to make a correction in a future podcast. My husband and I are very aware of statistics and data and how they can be manipulated. And I'm sure you did not intentionally manipulate the data, more that you misinterpreted the makeup of the population being studied Maybe I'm wrong, but that was the impression I got from the discussion. Appreciate all you do. Thank you. Yeah, and listener, I, you are not wrong. Yeah. That's right. We, I know as we, soon as I you were as, wrong. <laughs> yeah, as, as as I was listening to that podcast, I was like, oh my goodness, I said that totally the wrong way. 
And, so, yeah. and you were not the only listener who caught that and wrote in. So, um, yeah, yeah, we appreciate that. So clarify, Matt. So I have to think back to this podcast, but there was this, they were asking, like, have you left a church? Have you left mm-hmm. a church? And then of the people who said, I've left a church, then there was like 37% Catholic and then 23% Protestant. And then 5% of the people who had left a church were in this other category. Mm-hmm. And what I had said was, so that means that at most 5% of the members of the church have left, right? But that's not what that was saying. That was saying of the people who have left a church, 5% of those came from other faiths. So it's just, yeah. I was just saying it the wrong way. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, mean yeah, yeah. what I said it meant. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I have another um, thing from the mailbag. So this reader, this listener writes, Matt and Melissa mentioned a transgender person, if worthy, could get a temple recommend. Um, This isn't exactly true. According to the church handbook, if a person has not transitioned, then they may receive a recommend. If they have had any social or medical transition, to present as someone of the opposite gender, they are restricted from many callings and from a temple recommend. Just wanted to clarify. Yeah. Yeah. So so just so people understand, restrictions, when we talk about restrictions, that would be like a, like a church disciplinary hearing. Maybe they've changed the name of it now, but that's where you would impose restrictions on a person's membership. Yeah. And I appreciate this listener writing in because when we were talking about this, we did just kind of quickly look up the handbook and I read it and I did miss this important part about social or medical transitions. Um, that being said, we have had, it, it, it's Pride Month, and we have had this listener write in and a couple of others write in about a couple of topics having to do either with transgender members of the church or with LGBTQ members of the church. And um, we did think that this is something we want to talk about more, but maybe we don't have time in this particular podcast. Yeah, and not every listener is interested. Right. And yes. so- yeah, so we recorded a special extra episode. So hopefully uh, you'll be able to see that episode. It'll drop sometime soon. And we have a special guest on that we talked to just about these specific issues. Yeah, specifically about LGBTQ issues, transgender issues with members of the church. And um, so, yeah, so for those of you who've written in, we are not ignoring you. Um, we are going to just, you know, talk about all those things a little bit more in depth in an episode a little bit later this week. So thank you. Corey is another listener who's very good about writing in and letting us know when we've said things that are a little bit inaccurate. In this case, he's not telling us that we're inaccurate. He was, we were talking about that story from President Oaks in the devotional, and we showed this graph that shows uh, marriage age on the rise since 1970. And Mm -hmm. he, he got some census data and he said, Hey, if you look at the median age at first marriage all the way back to 1890, what you see is 1890, the median age for marriage for men was 26. And then it starts to decline. And in the 1960s, it goes down to 23 for men. And he says that the church was actually so concerned about that, that they created a little movie. Uh, Let's see, it's called Worth Waiting For. Um, I've seen that. And the film discussed the risk of getting married too young. Huh. And so in the 1960s, the church was intru- like worried that people were getting married too young before they yeah. were actually ready to get married. And so he just thinks that it's interesting that President Oaks, as he's talking about marriage, chooses this time point where the median age for marriage in the church was the lowest that we've recorded. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. 
I mean, it's still higher today. So the median age for men in marriage is about 30 years old now. So it is still higher than it was in 1890. But he just thought, he said, that's an interesting thing that the church chose that point to start their graph and didn't go backwards to show this little dip that happened in that period of time. Yeah. And we did have another listener comment on this same story. Um, I think that you and I, Matt, had talked about that we thought some of the reasons for that declining age weren't necessarily the ones that President Oaks cited. President Oaks cited that he thought it was primarily having to do with financial reasons. And we were like, no, it's not that. But um, we did have another listener comment and say, "Um, I think he's exactly right. It is really difficult to marry right Right now, if you're young, it's hard to get a job that pays well, that can support you. Housing is super expensive. Um, So yeah, so I I do think that there's definitely a lot of issues surrounding this. I guess Um, when I got married, I doubled my income because I was working (laughs) part-time and now I had someone else working part-time. Right. And you didn't have to pay two rents. You only had to pay one, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. And my wife's a saver, so I actually inherited some savings when I got married, and she yeah. inherited some debt, so I don't know. I don't think there's any time where I think about your marriage that I'm not reminded that you married up. <laughs> you married up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's jump into our quick clips. We're just going to go briefly through some um, articles of news that are, you know, just just real quick. So go ahead, Maddie. Yeah. So the first question I have is, have you seen this photo going around about Joseph Smith? Have you the seen this? Locket? Like a locket. It's a daguerreotype. Yeah. It's like a, it's like six or seven months ago. It kind of came out and people yeah. were like, oh, this is Joseph Smith. And then I think people were like, no, it's not Joseph Smith. So there's a scholar out there who does this sort of thing. He's not a member of the church. And he takes that painting that Emma Smith had that she said looks the most like Joseph Smith. He takes that painting and then he overlays it with the photograph and Hmm. he says he's found 40 different spots where the photograph matches up perfectly with elements from the painting of Joseph Smith. And so his conclusion is that it is an actual painting, a picture, a photograph of Joseph Smith. Which, so this would be the only known photograph of Joseph Smith we have, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's a, a couple of members of the Quorum of the Twelve that we don't have photos of because they died before photos, right? So okay. uh, I think David W. Patton is one of them. Um, but anyhow, so but when I look at the photo of Joseph Smith, I say, that's not how I picture him in my head at all. Yeah. Listeners, if you don't know what we're talking about, there's a link in the show notes and you can you can pull up this image. But yeah, I... Uh, to me, it doesn't look like Joseph Smith at all either. But of course, we just have these images no, from no, movies paintings, and right. paintings. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. actually, so when I think, okay, if I had bumped into that guy on the street and he said, I'm Joseph Smith, I'd be like, uh, no, you're not, because I know what Joseph <laughs> Smith looks like. And yeah, then that it, made, it kind of made me think like Jesus, same thing, right? Like we have no idea what Jesus looks like. Yeah. And, and like even from the paintings, all the paintings are so different of Jesus. And I just yeah. think, I wonder if I'm going to have that same sensation when I see Jesus. I'll be like, oh. Uh, is that you? <laughs> well, and related then, to that. Oh, sorry. Did you have yeah, one more thing to add? Yeah, no, I was no. just going to say related. Um, the final volume of the Joseph Smith Papers is going to release um, on an anniversary of the prophet's martyrdom. So on June, June 27th. 27th. Yeah. What yeah, do you know I about think, the Joseph Smith Papers? So I've been trying to purchase all of the books that I possibly can because, I don't know, I'm weird that way. This year, you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but now I realize they're all online for free. And so I really shouldn't be collecting these huge papers. But you I'm, know huge... I'm in favor of having paper copies of things. I really am. Because sometimes things go away that are online. Yeah, and it's just a, it's it's important to preserve important things. So 
I'm a huge fan of the Joseph Smith Papers project. I'm glad that they're finishing it up because like it is so I am not a historian, but on occasion I will do a research project that involves me finding stuff about church history. And because mm-hmm. I'm not a historian, I I don't know all the books to go to to cite things that happened in church history. The Joseph Smith Papers is a tremendous resource because it's a primary source that I can just go there. I can cite it easily and I can actually look at the original thing that Joseph Smith wrote in some kind of a thing. And I can say, this is what Joseph Smith said. And then instead of citing a church manual, which I used to have to do in the past, uh-huh. I can cite like the Joseph Smith papers, the original source. So yeah. I love them. I think they're great. I, I, I really do appreciate that he kept such good records, right? That he wrote so much down. I really think that's, that's really cool. I mean, I don't think like, I don't think that that was super common in his era, was it? I don't think so. I don't think yeah. that a lot of people wrote things. Well, and he had scribes, right? Obviously. Were... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. did you know you can go to the Church History Library in Salt Lake City? They have a, an original piece of paper of the Book of Mormon. I think it's First Nephi, something in First Nephi. But just for me, because I'm just weird this way, but like seeing the page where they wrote the translation of the Book of Mormon, like the original page, just seeing it there. I, I don't know. I just love that sort of thing. Yeah, so, yeah. The Joseph Smith Papers is like that for me, only in a digital format. Okay, cool. So yesterday, the church dropped a new version of Preach My Gospel. It's updated. and Preach My Gospel, the missionary manual, yeah. correct? And my daughter, who just got home from her mission, couldn't have been more excited about it. I was like, you know how was your day? It? Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, new Preach My Gospel, new Preach My Gospel. Yeah, that's, that's exactly funny. what it was. Do you know how long it's been since we had an updated version? This is only the second version. Well, so they published the original in 20... 2004? In 2000, yeah, it's 20 years ago Yeah, Now, that's a long time between updates. But, but they have been updating it digitally. So I think oh, 28, okay. 2018, I think, is the most recent update. But this is more of like an official thing because they've changed the sections. So there used to be a okay. lesson called laws and ordinances or like ordinances and commandments or something like there was a section that was just commandments and now they've changed that section to tying all of the commandments into the baptismal covenant so interesting and they've got a new section called enduring to the end so like they've they've updated like the way that the sections are and the lessons that you teach Uh and then they've updated a lot of the content about finding people to okay. reflect like social media or digital or phones, right? So in the I past, think that's it's necessary because yeah. that is the way a lot of missionaries are are working these days. Yeah. So like in the past, it would say and uh, give write down on the pamphlet a little message to remember to remind them to keep their uh, commitments, and they say, or you could text message them, or you could send them a message on social media. So they like updated it in that way. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. We, uh, yeah. we had the missionaries over last night. And so the first elders thing. Elders are sisters. Elders. We have uh-huh. two new elders in our in our stake. And the first thing um, we asked them is, aren't you so excited about the new Preach My Gospel? And they lacked the enthusiasm that my return missionary daughter had. <laughs> she was more excited than they were. They'll get there. <laughs> the funny thing is one of the missionaries that came he went into the MTC the exact same day as my daughter did, right? But really? But he's still got six months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. Okay. The Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square, also known as what, Matthew? Tab Cats. Tab Cats. I've got you on board now. Um, they went on a wonderful tour in Mexico 
Um, they did a lot of good there in Mexico. They did obviously a lot of singing um, and then also service um, in Mexico. This is a their first big tour in a long time, and they were um, they were very successful and very excited about it. However, in sad news, the Tabernacle Choir, the Tab Cats, has had to cancel this week's live broadcast and perhaps potentially many more in the future because COVID. <laughs> While they were in Mexico. Several of them contracted COVID. Several more have um, treated, tested positive since they returned home. That's and really so scary. There was a slight outbreak. Yeah. You know, I was talking to mom about that this morning because she was supposed to work the Tabernacle broadcast this week. And That's she's right. like, this has never happened before. But right. They, they never call- canceled music in the spoken word. They literally never cancel it. And she didn't know why. She's like, okay. what's happening in the church that they would cancel this? And I was like, I think they all got COVID. And she's like, no, no, no. And so then I Googled it. <laughs> you see, she's like, oh, okay. All right. I feel yeah, better. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So hopefully it won't be um, canceled for too very long. But obviously, if they're all meeting together, it's more likelihood of, you know, spreading the disease. So they need to be careful. They had recorded an episode while they were in Mexico. So mm-hmm. they're going to air that episode that they recorded in Mexico this Sunday. Okay. And then I think they'll be back to live Live, I don't know. I think they probably recorded that with the hope that they could have some other week off, but (laughs) COVID had other plans for them. Okay. So the podcast is called This Week in Mormons, and it never specifies that it's This Week in Mormon people because there really aren't Mormon people anymore. So (laughs) I thought we should discuss Mormon crickets. Oh, Matt, you are taking us brave new places. Mormon crickets, go on. You you can say Mormon crickets and still follow the prophet. So that's That's why. Yeah. So apparently they're, they're actually not really crickets. They're, I think, katydids. And they have this like cycle in which they'll reproduce a whole lot. And then they'll, so they'll have some seasons where there's a whole lot of them. And then there's some periods of time when there's not so many of them. And this year just happens to be one of those years where there's a whole lot of Mormon crickets. So, But this is the same animal that came when Utah was first established mm-hmm. and came to, I, I'm trying to remember, and I don't know if this the is seagulls, like lore. The seagulls. Yeah. So all the crickets came and started eating all the crops that the pioneers had planted and they were in danger of not being able to have any food, their first harvest year here. Yeah. And then a miracle happened and the seagulls came and ate all the crickets. And yeah. This right? But I, yeah. Don't think, I don't think that that was their first year here. I think that's the part that's maybe a little more lore. But okay. it was sometime when they were early on. like So, yeah, it's like the cycle, right? They hadn't had them for a while, and then suddenly they're inundated with these crickets, and they don't know how mm-hmm. to get rid of them. And okay. then the seagulls came and ate all of the crickets, and that's why they're <laughs> called Mormon crickets. So, and so there's going to be a ton of Mormon crickets in Utah this year? Well, so they've already in got the them. In, they've already got them in Nevada, and seriously, on roads they're using snowplows to get rid of them. There's so many of them on the roads. I don't think that's very good for missionary work in Nevada. <laughs> First of all, they don't get snow, so they probably don't have snowplows. And then, second of all, how, we're Mormon just going to send these Mormon crickets? I wouldn't want to join that church. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on, go on. Imagine if there was a pest called the like the Muslim beetle or something. Right, like right. We're such a special church that we're the only <laughs> religion that gets negative things Mormon named after. Anyhow, that's the story. Uh, you're going to see them if you live in the Mountain West, like Utah, uh, Nevada, I think areas, parts of Cal- uh, California and Idaho. You're going to see them and you're going to think maybe it's something to do with the weather and it's nothing to do with the weather. It's just part okay. of the life cycle. 
Okay, great, great. Okay, um, we had Juneteenth recently, the, yeah. the holiday Juneteenth, and um, our church celebrated Juneteenth by giving a large gift to um, what they're calling the NAACP branch. But basically, Elder Matthew Holland, who is a member of the 70, he's Jeffrey R. Holland's son, but he's a member of the 70. Um, and a political with- scientist. Okay, great, great. So he's more important. I'm um, just kidding. <laughs> Wasn't he the president of UVU for a yeah. while too? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, anyways, um, he met in Salt Lake City with the executive director of the NAACP Memphis branch, and um, uh, so it's not it's not a branch of our church. It's a branch yeah. of the NAACP. Sorry, when I say the word branch, I think sometimes people are like word branch, like that's yeah, our yeah, lingo, yeah. but yeah. Um, so anyways, um, the church donated $500,000 to the Memphis branch of the NAACP. Um, and it's just to help them um, reorganize. And um, it's just a gift of what, what the church said is um, a commitment to create a more equitable society. Yeah. Yeah, I really like the efforts that the church is making to try to overcome racism in society. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. Okay, so the next two stories are just a little bit quicker. Not a lot to say about them. So Miss Utah 2023 is a member of our church and a convert. And she's a return missionary. And her name is Sarah Soon. And she is the first Asian American to ever wear the Miss Utah crown. Oh, cool. Um, I see a picture of her. Look at her. Good for her. I think it's awesome that you return from a mission and um, you're able to represent yourself in the Miss America pageant. I think that's awesome. I think that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. yeah. I think it'll be neat. Great. And then there's her. some news for, there's news for three temples in the United States. First, they've announced the exact location of where the Wichita temple will be built in Kansas. That's kind of your a former neck of the woods, isn't it? Yeah. I think I've been to Wichita once. Okay. Um, but you but, lived in Kansas. Yeah. And okay. my daughter served in Oklahoma, which is really close to Wichita. Okay. Um, and the they've announced the dedication date for the Orem Temple. So you can see the link in the show notes. So that's, is that a rededication? No, they no. Like- so they built a new temple over by UVU. Oh, on, it's a brand new the, temple. Okay. Mm-hmm, on the west side of the freeway there. Okay. A, and they had announced previously that when the Orem Temple is dedicated, then the Provo Temple will be closed for remodeling. For remodeling. Okay. And so they've announced that in February of next year, the Provo Temple will be no more. It's going to it's going to look like the Ogden Temple. They're going to totally Okay, change that's what it. I was going to ask. Do you think they'll change that funky design on the outside? It's kind of um iconic, really. I know, I'm actually sad to see it go. So that was another thing when I was talking to the missionaries uh, who went in the MTC the same day as my daughter, I was like, oh, so you were probably there at the Provo Temple taking pictures with your family at the same time that we were there taking pictures. Yeah. And he's like, no, I'm from New York State. And so I didn't have well, family. Well, they said goodbye out there. Yeah. And so there are like, that's the new MTC drop-off thing is everyone goes to the Provo Temple to take uh-huh. pictures. Yeah. So it'll be no more. Like there won't be any of that where people have those photos anymore. Huh. It'll be a different temple, which I suppose is fine, but... I kind of like the old look of the Provo Temple. I mean, I think it's hideous. I do. <laughs> but it is iconic. Like, you look at it and you know what it is. And and the Ogden Temple used to have that same look. And frankly, it's so much more beautiful now. The Ogden Temple is breathtaking. But yeah, it. I, I mean, maybe architecturally someday that style will come back in. So <laughs> I yeah, don't. It, I, hope to, 
I hope to not offend anybody because interior decorating is like a sensitive subject. People have like their opinions about it. But so you so, think me saying something's hideous might be offensive? No, what I'm about to say <laughs> I think could be offensive. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> like the Provo Temple is dated in its interior, but okay. I have so many, so many memories from my time as a student at BYU and then as a missionary in the Provo Temple that it just sort of, I just sort of liked it. But yeah. the Idaho Falls Temple was equally mm. dated in its interior and they redid the Idaho Falls Temple, I don't know, maybe like five years ago. And so as they had the open house before the rededification of the Idaho Falls Temple, I just remember going through with my kids and they're like, I thought temples were supposed to be like beautiful inside. <laughs> <laughs> well, people were like committed to this dated, dated style. style? <laughs> yeah. So I wonder, I just thought, well, maybe they'll redo the Provo Temple and they'll keep it just as it was, just the way they did with the Idaho maybe. Falls Temple. But no, I don't think they're going to. Yeah. Well, I do think there have been a lot of opportunities and will continue to be opportunities for members of the church and non-members to tour temple open houses. We definitely have a lot of that going on in the Utah corridor in, in the next coming months. So, um, yeah. so that's, that's a good. Okay. My favorite one, famous Mormons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Famous. <laughs> That's right. So, so, so today it's it's famous people who did infomercial style commercials. <laughs> so, I think those people are more famous than anyone else. When I say the names, you're going to know who these people are. George Foreman. Okay, you know George Foreman. <laughs> Wilford Brimley. So Wilford Brimley is the guy that he was in the firm. And if you ever hear somebody say di diabetes instead of diabetes, he's the old man that would come on TV and be like, let's talk about diabetes. <laughs> and so there's like a whole, you don't know this guy? He's he, like. He is so famous. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He was on Seinfeld. One time Kramer is doing some kind of like mail fraud and he okay. has to meet with the uh, postmaster general and he's the postmaster general. Oh like, my goodness. Okay. You know they call me a general because I get things done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's famous. Right. You've never, got it. You remember how our mom says diabetes instead of diabetes? Yeah. I thought she was just, you know. It's Weird. Wilford Brimley. Wilford it's Brimley Wilford did Brimley. that to her. Okay, fine. Okay, okay. And then who's our third choice? Ron Pape. I don't know how to say his last Ron name. Ron Pape. Ronco. Ronco Foods. Um, oh, okay. he, he did like the hair cutting machine that was like a vacuum and it would cut your hair. And <laughs> the the uh, air. He was the first air fryer thing. He had all kinds of like infomercial thing okay Not, i love this segment i love this segment i love that we talk about famous adjacent and okay uh so i get george foreman wilford brinley or ron pape yeah um i uh ron ron wrong, wrong. it's wilford brimley diabetes oh wilford it's wilford brimley <laughs> He's actually a very famous Mormon. I don't know how active he stayed in the church, but he lived in Utah for a long time. There's a there's an article in the show notes that you can look at. Okay. It talks all about him and, I don't know, 
his attitude and feelings about the church. Okay, I'm Wikipediaing him right now, and yes, it does look like he was a member of the church or or still is. Is he alive? Um, uh, no, he probably died he of died. diabetes. He died in twenty. <laughs> he died in twenty twenty in St. George, Utah, at age eighty five. Okay, was it of diabetes? Um, it was from a. Kidney condition, which may have been caused by diabetes. He definitely had diabetes. Diabetes? (laughs) Diabetes. Diabetes. Uh, He had type 2 since 1979. Oh, my. Poor guy. Okay. Matt, I expect better next time. I want... I want better choices. Okay, I'll do better. I thought those would be a lot of fun, but that's fine. I'll try and do better. Okay, it is time for big deal, little deal, no deal. And this is where we go into news stories a little bit more in depth if we think they're worth mentioning, basically. (laughs) Okay, that's right. Okay, so the first story there are going to be no more cornerstone ceremonies at temple dedications. Is that a big deal, a little deal, or no deal? One. Two, three. Little deal. deal. Yeah, I think it's a little deal. Okay, tell me more. <clears throat> well, that's all. That's it. At every. Well, have we always had this... cornerstone ceremonies at every temple? We have. Um, and there's a talk that Gordon B. Hinckley gave where he uses the, where he talks about how we, he says we've had this tradition of, of a cornerstone ceremony at the dedication of a temple. And then he talks about cornerstones and how they can be important in our lives. And so I thought, well, maybe cornerstones are some like doctrinal thing, but like a special ceremony. Yeah. But apparently no, it's just a tradition that we've done. And maybe it's like an unnecessary tradition because we're not doing them anymore. Well, I wonder if we're not doing them anymore because, you know, like the um, Helena Montana temple that just got dedicated, it was, it was a temple that um, it, it was built differently. It was kind of like a modular. Yeah. Yeah. Manufactured. manufactured. In, uh, yeah. So uh, maybe you're not able to do a cornerstone when you build a temple like that. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, well, and the cornerstone ceremony, it's not really a cornerstone, right? Because the foundation of the temple is far deeper and so you've got, if you look at temples, you'll see this like uh, metallic thing that says like erected in, and then it'll have the year. And the oh. cornerstone ceremony is just them putting some mortar around that little piece. Oh. So it's not really a cornerstone. It's not the ceremony where they like dig the first dirt. No, 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 no. That's a different ceremony. Yeah. And we're still doing that? Uh, Yeah, we still do that at the groundbreaking. That's the groundbreaking. Oh, the groundbreaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's just when they're dedicating a temple... They're no longer going to do that little special thing where they put mortar around a little piece of, I don't know, metal or brick or something. Okay. All right. Are you ready for my headline? Yeah. Okay. United States, U.S. Mormons are becoming less Republican. Mm -hmm. Big deal, little deal, or no deal. Three, two, one. Big little deal. deal. Big oh, deal. Big deal. Big deal. Matthew, I knew you would have an opinion on whether U.S. Mormons becoming less Republican is important. I do wonder slightly if this is related, like if this article just came out because the um, the first presidency came out with that letter um, mm-hmm. talking about um, that that members of the church shouldn't dr- just vote straight party, right? Like that's that's not a thing that's good for democracy. That you should um, vote according to candidate, not according to party, right? So there's a political scientist uh, named Ryan Burge. He's a Baptist minister. 
Mm-hmm. And he he recently created a little blog or like a website where all he does is make graphics about religion in the United States. And there's these massive data sets where you can get data and you can download it and just make pictures. And so Jana Reese, in this case, uh, got one of his little stories he wrote that shows that the United States, that Mormons are becoming less Republican. And so Mm -hmm. that might be why she decided to go to his website and look for the pictures and stuff that he makes, Mm -hmm. but it's just a little bit. It's not very much at all. And the only reason I say it's a big deal is because any change like that at all is kind of a big deal. Like people probably don't think about this, but leaving a political party is really um, similar to leaving a religion. People don't do it very often. Yeah. Hmm. Think back to 2016 about all the people, if you know anybody, who said after Trump became the nominee in 2016, I knew a number of people that said, I'm done with the Republican Party. He doesn't stand for our values, and I'm not going to be a Republican anymore. And within a year, almost all of them were back in the Republican Party. Okay. And, and I, don't, I don't know anybody who's like gone from being a Republican to being a Democrat or vice versa. It's a very they hard thing to do. Being an independent or to being not affiliated. Yeah, so typically partisan change happens like the parents would move from Republican to independent, and then the okay. kids would move from independent to Democrat. Okay, okay. So it's, it's like usually generational shifts is how partisan identification shifts over time. Mm-hmm. So the fact that the church, members of the church are becoming less Republican suggests that there could be generational shifts in party identification in the future. Okay. But right now, it's just a little bit. Yeah. And it is, according to this article, younger members of the church who are shifting. Yeah, except for that they can't really tell that from the data. Okay. Okay. You can't really tell that. All you know is that, like, yeah, you don't really know that. But, yeah, that's the supposition because of, like, how that stuff works, right? Gotcha. Okay. That was fascinating. Riveting. (laughs) No, it's not. These are the things. These are the things I talk about with my wife when she can't sleep at night. I'm like, oh. let me tell you a fascinating story about party <laughs> identification. <laughs> awesome. Okay, big deal, little deal, or no deal. Former FLDS members fear their children's disappearance is part of a Warren Jeffs prophecy. Oh. One, two, three. Big deal. deal. Oh, we agree. I just think it's such a salacious headline. I haven't heard anything about this. And uh, so, yeah, tell me more. Big deal. So we know that Warren Jeffs is in prison. Right. And and I I assume. He's the FLDS prophet prophet for the fundamental LDS church. Yeah. And I assumed that what was going to happen is he goes to jail then the church would move on without him and mm-hmm. it would be the end of him as a leader of their church. But apparently he's been um, receiving revelation while in prison. And so part of the revelations he's been receiving was about these children. And um, and so then the children went missing. There's a link to the story. It's from ABC yeah. News. I'm it looking at it right now. Kids. A lot of these missing children are boys, not yeah. girls. Huh. Right. A lot of them have the same last name as each other too, which is not shocking in a polygamous community. Right. Huh. So they think that there was a prophecy by Warren Jeffs and that that's why the kids are disappearing. I'll read this. Last year, experts say Jeffs began to release new revelations or prophecies 
which ABC News has obtained, including one last June that calls for children of ex-members to come back into the fold, and another in August calling for members of the FLDS to die in the next five and a half years in order to reach heaven. Wow. So I think that what's happening is these people who have left the FLDS church, their children are being kidnapped to be brought back into the FLDS church to fulfill this prophecy from Warren Jeffs. Wow. Yeah. So that's a big deal because I think it's anytime you're talking about children's lives, it's a big deal. But then it's also like the FLDS church kind of isn't going away. And Warren Jeffs kind of isn't. He exercises tremendous power, even though Hmm. he's in prison. Okay, yeah, that was an interesting story. Um, Okay, here's mine. Can we use artificial intelligence to answer questions about faith? (laughs) Big deal, little deal, or no deal? Three, two, one. No deal. No deal. (laughs) I can we ask. Agree it's no deal. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> oh, man. I'm loving all of my playing around with artificial intelligence. Really? I, I'm, finding, I'm finding it very interesting, fascinating. Um, it might be helping me write a thesis for my master's program. It might be. <laughs> uh, no, just a little bit. Um, but I, I do. I have a lot of fun playing around with it and asking it questions. And it is changing constantly. Yeah. Um. And obviously, we've talked before about using AI to write your church talk, which I'm telling Not you is happening more and more. It's happening more and more. <laughs> um, you think people are actually doing that? I think people are using AI to ask questions about theology in our church, people who maybe don't belong to our church or who do, but who don't know the answers. And they're just asking questions and, and seeing what happens. Hey, I, you know what? I think we should try it. No, 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 this is not good podcast content. (laughs) No, this is great podcast content. Let's see. Um, let's see. Give me a, give me a question. I'm going to ask AI about it. Did Joseph Smith practice polygamy while in Nauvoo? Ooh, now wait, do you know the answer to this? Sure. Okay. Okay. Did Joseph Smith practice polygamy? What? While in Nauvoo. Okay. How would? Oh my goodness! Okay, this is like six paragraphs. Yes, he did. Polygamy was introduced in 1840s. It was initially practiced secretly. Does Um, it give you any citations? Polygamy was controversial, led to tensions. I will say, give me citations. But they're going to be fake citations. No, not anymore. That was just in the first version. We're up to the fourth version now. Mm. I've got gospel topics essays. Gospel topics essays. I've got Fair Mormon. I've got Joseph Smith Papers documents. Yeah. Wait, you just said this was a little deal or no deal. And now you're you know, using it, making it feel like it's perhaps a big deal. I just think it's fun, but I don't think uh, it's okay. a big deal. Nah, I don't think it's a big deal. It's just fun. <laughs> okay. Listeners, try it on your own. <laughs> you're like a child who just discovered the internet. <laughs> oh my goodness, I can go to websites. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, it's fun. It's fun. Okay, you're up. Okay. What 18 years of research tells us about the mental health of Latter-day Saints? Okay. Big deal, little deal, no deal. Three, two, one, no deal. Big deal. Big deal? Yeah, I kind of think so. Well, okay. it's 18 years of research. That's a yeah. long time, right? Yeah. And I would like mm. to know specifically about mental health, specifically with members of our church. Like, 
I think that's 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 good information to have because we are a unique people, right? Like, yeah. for example, we have a unique look on perfectionism, right? There's a lot of anxiety yeah. among members of our church because we try so hard to do what's right all the time. For example, yeah. that's a mental health perspective that's unique to our church. Or I think we also have things like... Um, uh, we have doctrines on suicide. Now, I, I don't know that, that those, those have been updated in the last 18 years, but those contribute to our thoughts about mental health, right? We have, I bet we have, because we have the most or one of the highest, I, I shouldn't just like quote statistics like I know them, but Utah <laughs> is one of the states where we have the highest amounts of plastic surgery being done, right? Yes, yes. So, is there probably some mental health issues with members of our church having to do with body dysmorphia? Maybe. Like, I'm interested in this. I don't know. Well, so that one they don't address. The other ones, okay. they address them all. And you can follow the link in the show notes. Um, the re- And they say that Latter-day Saints um, are not as high in depression, social anxiety, almost all of the things you mentioned as people in other religions. Okay, that's interesting. But the only reason I say little deal or no deal is because... It's very hard to study members of our church because we're so spread out. So you have to either just do a study of people in Utah and Idaho, maybe Arizona, Nevada, okay. to get a good enough sample size to really test this stuff, mm-hmm. or you have a really hard time like getting a really good sample. So we're a global church with members right. all over the world, but it were really hard to study as but spread we're out. Studying as we mainly are. members in the Rocky Mountain area. Yeah, and so that's not really reflective of members of the church broadly. Yeah, that's so, a good point. So I applaud them for uh, doing the work and like starting on some of these things. But even though it's been 18 years, you just can't get enough information about uh-huh. members of our church in a global perspective. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. For your next headline, um, I actually have three that kind of go together. So I'm going to just read one that kind of opens up the topic. Um, okay. So here it is. Davis School District pulls the Bible from elementaries and junior high schools due to <laughs> vulgarity or violence. Okay. Ready? Okay. okay. Three, two, one. Big deal. Big deal. Yeah. I think it's big a big deal. deal. Oh I'm glad goodness. you said big deal. This is obviously um, something that's close to my heart just because I am a high school librarian. Um, there's a lot of issues dealing with book bans in Utah specifically. Um, and basically what happened in Davis County, and, and I'm just bringing this up because eventually after um, reviewing the Bible, they had um, a request to look at the Book of Mormon and see if it should be banned. Well, but I'm Bible, don't you have to ban the Book of Mormon? Right, right. Well, I'm just going to give you kind of a big picture from my understanding. So about two years ago, Utah, um, they tweaked the law having to do with um, what materials are allowed in schools, both in teacher classrooms and in school libraries. And their intent was to um, protect students from having access to content that was pornographic or severely violent, right? Were there pornographic materials in school libraries? Uh, indeed, no. Oh, okay. Um, no. Okay. Um, to be clear, um, every librarian that I've talked to was completely in favor of this law, right? Like, good, let's protect our children. I don't know any librarians who are um, wanting to be the um, sneaky librarian that's giving pornography to children. That's <laughs> not the plan. In an elementary not the school. Idea, right? Middle school. Not the idea. Um, 
Well, then so, why, is it, no, so why no. are they in favor of a law? If they're not doing it, why do you need a law to say not to do something that nobody's doing? Um, you know, I think this is one of those things that comes in waves, right? Like as parents, we want to have control over our children's education. And this is one of the ways that we do it, right? So for example, when things came up, um, you know, a few years ago about having to do with things like critical race theory, right? Yeah. Teachers would say, I don't want critical or parents would say, I don't want critical race theory taught in my classroom, in my child's classroom. Mm-hmm. And teachers would say, that's not in our curriculum. We're not going to teach it. But then parents would say, yeah, but there are books in your student's classroom or your teacher's classroom or in the library that could teach critical race. But and they so, don't, if they don't know what they're talking about, why don't you I, just say? But the point is, is this is a way for parents to be like, we want to have control of our children's education, which is a big deal in Utah. And oh, parents yeah, yeah, do yeah. want to have a lot of say in their child's education. So I think the legislature in response has tweaked its laws. And, and it's just kind of saying like, yes, we, we want to have things that support um, good education and, and that protect children again, which all librarians are for. So when this went into effect, what happened was there was a, a lot of parent groups, not a lot, but in Davis County, it is, it is specifically known for having this parents group called, I think it's Utah Parents United, if I'm not wrong. Anyways, um, that are, that are a group that kind of got together and we're like, we're going to look at every single book in every single library in every single school. Are you serious? And, and if we don't think that it meets the standards, we're going to put it, we're going to ask for it to be removed. And so they have been going through for, you know, a, a year and a half. And every time a book comes up that they don't think is appropriate, they'll put it, they'll ask for it to be reviewed. And not just in Davis district, in every school district, right? Like wow. I've had in my personal school, I've had two specific parents come in with concerns about a specific book and every library has a process. Every school district has a process of it's called consideration or reconsideration, where if somebody feels that the, it, it, you can't just feel that like this book isn't appropriate for my child. You have to say this book does not meet the standards outlined by the Utah state legislature. I'm talking on and on, but I'm just trying to get around to yeah, the point yeah, yeah. of this. So. so the people know what it is. So so you can't just be like, I don't want my child to read that. You have to be like, I don't think any child in the whole entire world should have access to that material, basically, right? Because because from a librarian's perspective, like I if if it's not good for your kid, your kid should shut the book or they should not check that book out, right? If it's not good for any kid, we shouldn't have that book in our library, like right? Pornography, so, right? Exactly. Pornography or really violent books or something like that. Right. But what's happening is a lot of the books that are being challenged, for example, might have like a transgender character in the book. And a parent says, that's not a value that I want to teach my child, that I want to model to my child. And so that book should not be in the library. And so then they'll submit that book and say that it needs to go into reconsideration. Um, And then, you know, there's a process. Every district has their own. And it's because of the character, not because of the content. I can't like there's there's been a lot of books challenged, right? Oh. So if it's what 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 the law is is like if there's a character, we're not going to ban that book. I'm sorry, okay. but there are transgender people in the world and there are books that reflect that the world has those kinds of people in them, right? Same with LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. If there is content that is graphic, right? Sexually graphic, we are not going to have that book in our libraries, right? Yeah. So whether regardless of if it's a gay character, or if it's a straight character, if there's graphic content, 
that doesn't belong in our libraries, right? But I'm just trying to illustrate the the line between like not good for my kid versus not good for any kid. Mm -hmm. Because there's other parents who say my child is transgender and they deserve to have themselves represented in a book, right? They deserve to be able to read a book and see, oh, this is a person who is like me and there are other people like me in the world, right? So Anyways, um, a lot of districts have gone through a lot of books and and looked at them. In fact, um, there was just a recent story by KSL that went through every single district in the entire state, what books they've had challenged, and whether or not they um, pulled the book or kept the book. And a lot of the most controversial titles, you can see like three of the districts decided to keep this book, three of the districts decided not to keep this book, right? So it does go district by district and we're all trying to follow the law, but it's just an issue right now that that has a lot of, I would say, emotion and tension surrounding it um, because it, it does kind of feel like it's two-sided, like parents against school districts. I don't think it is two-sided. I, I am a school librarian. I'm also a parent. I also want what's good for our community Everybody wants children to be safe, right? But doesn't okay. it feel like it's very, very subjective? If this one's going to ban the book and this one's not going to ban the book, that mm-hmm. there's not like some mm-hmm. kind of objective standard? Yeah. And the objective standard is the law. Yeah. Um, I do feel like some school districts are pandering more to parents. And I feel like some parents are saying, hey, who gets to make this decision? Well, the person who gets to make the decision is the person who's in charge of collection development, which is your school librarian. Like at the end of the day, I had to go to school for eight years and get three different certifications and have all these trainings. Like your school librarian is typically the most educated person in your school. Typically, like they have to have so many certifications to learn how to do this. So like, how do you get rid of the Bible? Okay, so good question. So what happened is all these parents are putting all of these books in for reconsideration and other parents are being like, are you kidding me? Like, you want us to reconsider that book? Well, yes, it's so violent. Well, yes, it's so sexual. So another parent was like, great. Like, like it's kind of, it's kind of like the pendulum swings, right? And you've got both sides of the pendulum. And there's this group of parents that are like, reconsider this, reconsider this, reconsider this. And some other parents are standing on the sidelines being like, Okay, great. If we are going to reconsider all of those books, then we better reconsider your Bible. Because if oh, you so look at it, submitted it. Somebody said, if you look at it, your Bible has a lot of violence. Yes. it has a lot of um, sexual it has content. Sexual content. We've got rape. Profanity. We've got profanity. So yeah, like if you're if you're going to put in all these books to be reconsidered, we also better reconsider the Bible, which the school district, Davis School District, looked at. They looked at the policy. They looked at the state guidelines, and they said, "Huh, you're right. There's too much violence in here." There's too much sexual content and it should not be in elementary or junior high schools. You can keep it on the shelf for high schools. So guess what? They followed, they followed the same rules they follow for any other book. Well, once that happened, the, the parents were like, awesome. Now look at your book of Mormon. Cause same thing. You've got Lamanite women being raped, kidnapped. You've got cutting off somebody's head with a knife. You've got God telling people to be violent. (laughs) You better reconsider that too. So, I mean, the school board was literally just like, you're right. We need to apply apply the same standards to these books as we're applying to other books. And yeah, if we look at it, like, yeah, we should ban it. (laughs) Well, then once they banned the book, the Bible, 
the whole the whole community got in uproar and they were like you cannot ban the bible it was all over national news melissa everybody is well, talking about utah banning the bible in their schools yeah and then the community look. was like you can't and the school district's like you have tied our hands you've said we have to ban books based on content we're looking strictly at content and we've got to ban right like what do you want us to do like <laughs> we're trying to be equal we're trying to be fair right Anyways, um, I think where we're at now is that the there was they know, reversed their riots decision. on the Capitol. They reversed their decision, and they said that the book can now be in schools. They have not made um, a ruling on the Book of Mormon yet. But the my, Bible, my guess they is said, is such an important piece of literature that we're going to ignore all of the bad stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that they've only made this problem worse. I think they have too. And, and again... I'm not trying to push bad content, but um, there are a lot of classic books, a lot of classic yeah. literature that have content in it that is um, objectionable. You know, yeah, exactly. So then, if the question yeah. is, is the literature important enough, then that becomes a whole different debate. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see more problems with this. And frankly, um, you know, just again to explain. Librarians have been trained in looking at all of these issues, yeah, right? Why not just trust the librarians? I, yeah. I mean, I understand, like, if you want to have a conversation with a librarian, if you have a specific issue, and like, I get that, do that, please. They would be so happy to talk to you. But at the end of the day, like, yeah, we're looking at all of these issues in the context of a lot of education that we've had. We're reading a lot of books, and we don't like, we want to protect children. The end. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's move on to Mormons doing goodly. Not to imply imply that these parents aren't Mormons doing goodly, but I have a great story. Oh, they have their best, their children's best interest in heart. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So one of my students, uh, his name's Raymond Stevens. He's a brilliant, wonderful guy. He comes from Sierra Leone and um, he decided that he wanted to build a school in his hometown because they meet in this little mud hut. And um, yeah, and he doesn't really, he's, he's not a a member. He's not from the United States. He doesn't quite know how things work, but he was just like, I need to do this. Like I've been given so much. I want to give back to my community. So he had his, so so how, how old is he? Like uh, maybe in his early twenties, early twenties. Yeah. Just just barely finished at BYU, Idaho. And then went back to Sierra Leone and and was like, he was visiting there over Christmas. Okay. Or some sometime thereabouts, and uh, he he just remembered the school that he went to, and how it's like. So it's basically one room, and it's got cement walls, and then dirt floors, and then like a straw hut. Huh. And and he he talked to the local community, and he said, if I could raise money to get some building materials, would you guys build a new school? And they're like, absolutely, we would. So he figured out what it would cost to have the materials in order to build a new school. And it was $10,000. And he doesn't have $10,000. But he said right. he had just gotten his tax reta- re- refund. And he was going to buy himself a car. And he said, you know what? Instead, I'm going to put this towards building a school in Sierra Leone. And so he figured out how you do things in the United States. And he started a nonprofit and a GoFundMe page. And there's a link in the show notes. And he's raising money to build a school in his home community and uh, just because he wants to give back. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Yeah. That's awesome. That's a lot of initiative. Like he's a really talented guy, could do a lot of stuff with his time to um, make money. And, you know, that's what people are typically doing at that age. Right. And he's just like, I want to give back. I want to help the people where I come from. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad you shared that story. Mormon's doing goodly. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Cool. Okay, now well. Time for this week in Mormon history. <laughs> So, you know, Melissa, I like to try to be positive on these things. and, and You're and, always positive. Yeah. That's okay. your number one characteristic. <laughs> so, <laughs> 90 years ago today. Okay. Uh, so, that'd so be in the, what, in the 30s? 1933, if you can kind of okay. try and remember the politics of that time. The I, first- I can. <laughs> I can absolutely remember the politics of the 1930s. 30s. Go on. Yeah, I'm interested. Okay. The first presidency and apostles decided that the church as an organization could not take part in the campaign for the repeal of the 18th Amendment, since this is a partisan political question. Is now, the 18th Amendment the alcohol one? It repeals prohibition. Okay. Uh-huh. It is hoped, however, that all LDS would vote against repeal of national prohibition. Hmm. So 35 years later, though, when it comes up uh, and it's it's like voting, uh, then the church does get involved, right? 35 years later, they reverse the t- this decision and participate in a campaign against liquor by the drink in Utah as a moral issue. So, so yeah, it's just w- the church often gets involved in moral issues. Yeah. But it's interesting that on the repeal of alcohol, uh, <laughs> right? Then they said, this is not something we could get involved, should get involved with. This is partisan politics. Was the... um. Again, I'm so bad at history, but yeah. there was a period of time where LDS people still drank a lot of liquor, yeah. even though the word of wisdom had come out. It wasn't like, and we all live by this. Is is yeah. that still this period of time or not really? So Heber J. Grant was the president of the church. And okay. by this time, you could not get a temple recommend if you were drinking alcohol. Okay. okay. And he, he did as prophet, he pled with the members of the church to vote against repealing the 18th Amendment, repealing prohibition, because he did think that prohibition was a good thing. But the church officially said, we're not going to take a stand on this. Okay. All right. That was very interesting, Maddie. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, 40 years ago today, so 1983. Okay, I was alive. Yeah, it's a little... So Forbes magazine notes that in recent years... At least 10 separate swindles have been uncovered in Utah involving more than 9,000 people, which was 1% of Utah's population at the time. Oh, wow. And losses are estimated at more than $200 million. And asking itself why, the magazine described Utah as fertile soil for swindles because of excessive trust among LDS members. So most of the people who get cheated are members of the church getting cheated by other members of the church. And this came out in Forbes magazine, which is a big magazine. Yeah. And this was 40 years ago. And Melissa, it's still happening today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can pick up the newspaper any day and you're going to read about some member of the church that's been swindled by some other member of the church. And a lot of times uh, it's somebody you trust because they have a position or a calling of authority. And you're like, yeah, they're a good person. I trust them. Yeah, I agree with this. Yeah. Isn't it fascinating how we have to learn the same lessons over and over and over again? Yeah, yeah that's true. That is true. Um, that is one of the reasons I like this segment, even though I make fun of it and say that I don't, <laughs> because I do think it is interesting to look at history and be like, huh, we're in the beginning of that cycle again, or we're right in the middle of that cycle again. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I do like when people have the default position of trusting people, but sure. I, I've just known so many people who lost money because somebody was in a position of trust in the church and told them to invest in something or other. Mm-hmm. And then they lost money. Yeah. And I don't want to suggest that Joseph Smith was a swindler, but this whole, no. you know, there was the Kirtland safety society where early members of the church lost money, investing it in the Kirtland safety society. But again, the prophet had told them to do it, but like this idea of members of the church losing money because they're trusting other members of the church. It's almost as old as the church itself. Well, listener, thanks for another exciting episode of joining us for another exciting episode of This Week in Mormons. Just a couple of reminders. Remember, you can subscribe to Patreon and get bonus content for just a few dollars a month. We encourage you to subscribe to This Week in Mormons on social media, facebook.com at This Week in Mormons or Twitter at The Real Twim. And I also have another podcast, The Latter-day Lens, that'd be great to have you join for the join as a listener of The Latter-day Lens. And uh, as you know, we like to hear feedback in the email. Um, so you can email us at contact at This Week in Mormons. Or if you want to leave a voice comment, you can go to our website, thisweekinmormons.com. Thanks for listening to the original Mormon slash Latter-day Saint news podcast. Have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>